Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am so glad you found us. Welcome back if you are an old friend. And we really do want to help you eliminate screen conflicts. We are not about getting rid of all the screens in your house. We are just trying to help you understand what screens are hurting our kids and what screens are helping them and what screens we need to get rid of and pause and some we just need to get rid of all together. Today, you are going to get a big gift. If you know me, you kind of know I'm a gift giver and I like to give gifts, but if I could put a big bow on this one and hand it to you personally, I would. After you are done listening today, you're going to get a glimpse into the brains of your student from a college professor perspective. Isn't this just what you've always wanted? When was the last time you got to get intel about students, about college students from a college professor? This is going to be so interesting today. It is a very valuable show for all parents who are still thinking that that classroom experience is the way it used to be when we were growing up. Things, of course, are very different today, and we really don't know what it feels like because none of us grew up with a digital classroom. So you're going to learn so much today with this bird's eye view on classroom learning in the digital age. And then we're going to focus on the area of math. So our guest, Tara Lee Moore, has been a great friend of mine for many, many years. Her son is the age of my oldest, but in addition to having all the experiences of raising teenagers together and figuring things out, she has much more insight into the lives of college age students who, by the way, are just still larger versions of those high school kids that you have living in your house right now. They're just a little bit bigger and they're able to vote. Uh, that's about the only difference. You know, they're not adults yet. They haven't fully reached that 25 year milestone where their frontal cortex will be fully developed. But I have learned so much from Tara Lee from why kids struggle with math, especially now in the age of digital learning. Tara Lee was the first to describe to me what a Zoom classroom looked like from a teacher's perspective when COVID hit. We laughed so hard about some of the funny things that her students thought they were getting away with, but she is a great detective and she has a brilliant math brain. She's a college professor and she is never shocked by the crazy things that happen during the stage of development that we call the apprentice adult stage. So let's just jump in. Welcome, Tara Lee, to the show. Hi, Melanie. How are you? <laughs> Good. I have been wanting to do this for over a year because every time we get together, I wish I could just put our mic on and just record because you have so many wonderful tips. I'm just soaking in everything you say every time we get together and we talk about this subject. So we do have so much to cover and to share, right? With all the moms and dads listening today, because we have so much stuff, I just have to give our audience just a little outline. I normally don't have to do this, but I thought, well, today I'm going to tell you where we're headed. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about screens in the classroom, just in general, what's happening. The second thing, we're going to dive into homework and what that looks like and how kids actually are cheating now a little bit in school, a little bit different from what we were um, experiencing when we were growing up. Third, we're going to dive into math and what it takes to learn math 
in this day and age and how you can help your kids. We're going to end with tips. We have 10 tips for parents for a successful college math experience, and it may not be exactly what you're thinking it is. So you're going to be pleasantly surprised with all of this today. So Tara Lee, let's talk about just in general, the overall climate that we have right now with screens in the classroom, you, you know, cause you, you were share your experience a little bit cause you were in the high school classroom for a while, correct? And, and then you of course tutor now as well, but now you're in the college classroom. So talk about what has happened in the classroom now that screens are around. Yes, I've been in a classroom for a little over 20 years now. And of course, I started teaching in a high school and then um, moved to a community college. And then now I am at um, a small liberal arts Christian college in North Carolina. Um, Of course, 20 years ago, there were screens in the classroom, a few, maybe one computer per room, maybe a few more than that. In some classrooms, maybe one at the front. The teacher may have had one. Um, And then, of course, now you know, everyone's got one in their back pocket. In my years of teaching, I've gone from a classroom with none to now everybody has one. I still personally feel like the the best way for me to teach and for students to learn is, is in person, not through Zoom. Uh, I, in fact, I think there's not a lot of learning going on in the Zoom classroom uh, today. I need to see my students. I need to see their facial reactions. I need to see what they're doing. And I feel like they need to see mine as well. In my particular classroom, I, you know, I I want to see the work they're doing. I want to see the mistakes they're making. I I want to see the whole process. And on Zoom, you just don't get that. Well, what about if you're not in Zoom and and it's just the regular before Zoom days a few years ago. Talk about how it changed just from that interaction, you know, because I know you and I have talked a lot about how much kids learn when they're, when they learn from each other's questions, right? So that that's just, when screens come into play, it feels like there's a lot of screen time where everybody's kind of being silent and they're working on their screen. From your kind of inside look, is there a shift or is that just kind of a myth that we just feel like there's a shift from just interaction in the classroom versus more quiet time on your screen? Oh, definitely. I mean, when they're, when the students don't have screens and I'm personally teaching, then I can get a discussion going. And in fact, when I do get a discussion going and we're talking about solving whatever we're working through, whatever concept, I encourage students to answer, even with mistakes. We, In fact, I kind of love when they make mistakes because then if they're making a mistake at the beginning of class and then at the end of the class, they're not making that same mistake, then I know I have taught them something. I know they have learned something. Now, if they're on a screen, I don't see that. I don't see that process. I don't see that aha moment. That is what keeps me in the classroom is that aha moment when a student gets it, when, when they've been making a mistake and making a mistake and making a mistake. And then all of a sudden it's like, aha, that's what you do. I think that's what keeps a lot of teachers in the classroom is seeing that student learn something. And you just don't see that when students are on screens. 
And I also know that it's really important for everybody to work this stuff out in a classroom answering questions. Because when you hear somebody else ask a question about something that you're struggling with, sometimes their question helps you figure it out. Maybe you didn't even know how to ask that question. And then they asked it. And it's like, oh, now I know what I was doing wrong because yes. I heard. And so there's none of that on a screen. Now, I know that, that there's a lot of people that say, well, we can collaborate on our screens. Well, it's not the same. It is not the same. There's just way too many distractions on the screen, things popping up. And yes, it's just very distracting. And I love this whole idea of making mistakes is really what learning is about. If you know why you made the mistake, then you'll remember, you know, not to do it again, I think. Correct. Correct. I mean, I've graded papers before where the student made the same wrong mistake on maybe 10 different problems. That that means they missed 10 problems. But if I can see that on pencil and paper, then I can fix that one thing very quickly. And all of a sudden, 10 wrong answers became 10 correct answers. On a computer, if they're just typing in things, I, I can't see that. I can't fix it that quickly. I just see, oh gosh, they missed 10 of those. They they must have no idea. When I can see their work, when they're there with me or when they're explaining it, I can so quickly fix the mistake. You can't diagnose the root of the problem is easy when it's on a screen. Of course you can't because they're just like turning in these answers. But when it's on paper, you can say, oh, this is where you went wrong. I exactly. can totally see. Yes. Wow. We know that when laptops enter the classrooms, kids get very distracted and they get worse grades. In fact, with smartphones in the classrooms, the studies show and they're very clear about a full grade letter drop when smartphones enter. Talk about that a minute. Do you think that research is a little bit over-exaggerated? Oh, what do no. you see? No, I, I don't think that. I mean, I have I have no data to back that up at all, but I, I, I've taught long enough. I've taught before phones were in the classroom. And then, of course, students now all have a phone. Yes, their, their grades are lower. Their, def, their grades are definitely lower because of that distraction. I think about a couple years ago, we were visiting and you said something about how you can predict the kids who come in the classroom with their laptops versus and where they sit and you can predict if they're going to stay in the class or not. How does that work? Yes. I don't allow my students to take notes on a computer um, unless there is some type of disability that that is a requirement. Then obviously, yes, I would let the student use the computer. But if, if there is no disability that that, that is an accommodation, then, then I don't allow. Now, that is today. I used to allow it or thought I would allow it. Now, being in math, math is very hard to type on the computer. Maybe in a history class, it's easier to, to type history notes in class, but math is very, very difficult. The symbols just aren't on the keyboard for you to type. I've been typing math for a long, long time. I still hate to type math, but I do it a lot. But I, I now don't allow my students to um, have to take notes on their computers uh, because I have never had a student who came in and wanted to take notes on their computer that I allowed them to do it. I have never had a student to pass the class. 
Never. Wow. Who wanted to take notes on their computer. They just can't do it. There's just too many distractions. Math is too hard to type. I mean, I, I, I don't have, like I said, a lot of data. Right. I just have the experience. I've had a handful of students to come in the class and ask if they could please take notes. Now I don't allow it at all. But a few years ago, I did. And never has a student passed who chose to take notes in my class on their computer. Well, that experience is so valuable for parents out there to hear coming straight from you. And we know that the studies back that up, that kids who take notes on paper in any subject do better in that subject than kids who type notes. This is no longer like a debated thing that much anymore, but it's fascinating to hear it come straight from you from your own classroom experience. I think it was maybe five years ago and and we were visiting and my kids were probably in middle school and we got into a discussion about studying. And you made a comment that has really stuck with me. And I want you to talk about just for a minute. I don't know. The light bulb went off in my head when you said this, you said that studying is lonely. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I had never... I've never thought about it that way, but in middle school, I was probably struggling with the boys saying, Terry, what do I do? I'm trying to get them to focus. And the first thing you said, it's really lonely. It's really lonely. So talk about that a minute. It is when lonely when it's you and the book and it's hard. It's studying is hard and lonely when it's just you and the book. It's not fun, but there are no distractions when it's just you and the book and your pencil and your paper and maybe your highlighter. And, and you can focus on the book and reading the book and, and reading it over and over and over, trying to get through, you know, whatever concept you're, you're trying to get through. It's just not fun. It's hard. And, and you have to be very independent. You have to be self-motivated to study. Now, I think today there are a tremendous amount of online classes today. To do them right, they are very difficult because it basically is just you and the book. Now, I will say COVID has maybe changed things a little bit, and there's a lot more maybe videos and Zooms that go along with online classes. But before this, it was just you and the book, and and it's, it's hard. It's lonely. It's hard. And the screen, you want to be on your screen so much more because that distraction feels good. It feels less lonely. You feel like your little friends are with you while you're doing your homework and you have your phone there and you feel like you're not really alone. But the problem is, and what you made me understand so well, was that that deep work of learning really wasn't being done and they weren't really focusing. You're not studying. That's if you were on there with your friends, you're not studying. Now there's a concept right there. So I know probably everybody listening has their uh, kids telling them that they have to have their phone to study. Or they have to have music going on in the background. And oh, yeah, they, talk about that for a second. Maybe it's just a personal thing. When I am really, really trying to focus on a difficult concept, I, I need quiet. I need basically the, the windows closed. You're talking quiet. I'm talking quiet. When I am really trying to learn something new, uh, having earbuds in and music playing to me is is not. But again, I'm older. Well, and the music that, you know, the loud stuff, it's just a distraction. Right. You know, but 
they don't want to be lonely. So they want to mm-hmm. turn the music on. I know it's mm-hmm. a kind of a battle in our house. Sometimes I have to say no music. We're going to focus and they get their homework done so much faster. Oh, Yes. I hear parents talking about homework taking hours and hours and hours to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think most teachers give hours and hours of homework. It takes hours and hours to do when you do a problem or two and then you check your Instagram and then you do a problem or two and then you check your something else and then you do a problem or two and then you check this and, and then you take a selfie and then, I mean, yes, it's going to take hours and hours that way. Well, I read one study that said it takes like 25 minutes to get back to what you were doing when you get a distraction. Like it literally takes wow. 25 minutes to get back to where your brain was. Because uh-huh. see, your brain gets into this deep layer, 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 and then you get distracted and then you go up to the top of the stairs again. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have to start all that over again. Sense. That makes sense. Wow. And that's why a lot of people in the workplace are just losing so much you know, work time because of that same reason. So I'm sure it's the same with this. And of course we need our kids to learn how to get comfortable with that deep, hard, lonely studying and homework, because when they go to college, it's going to require, you know, even a higher level of learning independence and motivation. You know, mom's not going to be there to tell them to do it. You're going to be there, right? I'm going to be there. (laughs) I'm going to be there to tell Tell them that, yes. Oh, my goodness. And the thing is, it's not going to take a tremendous amount of time. I mean, maybe if you're a a nuclear engineer and you're, you know, you're really deep. But if you've made it that far, then, then you're on another level anyway. But as you're getting into it, if you do take the distractions away and focus, then your time is less, way less. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have Mm -hmm. time to do whatever other thing you want to do for fun. Sure. Yeah. It's all about organizing that. So we know that screens can be used well in the classroom. We know that, you know, that I know that technology is wonderful for many of the experiences. And that's what a lot of people want to focus on. And what, what we, we don't know as parents though, since we never went through this ourselves, is that we don't know what some of these pitfalls are. And one of the ways that, that you've described this before is that you have to learn stuff first without the screen. Yes. Explain explain that concept. Probably the easiest thing that I can relate it to would be graphing in a math class. If we're graphing lines or if we're graphing curves, then a lot of times a student wants to reach for their graphing calculator or an app called Desmos and just punch in the function that they're trying to graph. And, and then all of a sudden this beautiful line or curve comes up, but they don't have any idea of why it looks like it does. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I love my graphing calculator and Desmos is wonderful. I'm, I'm not trying to downplay Desmos. It is a fantastic app that, that I do use with students, but before I get it out, before we get their calculators out, we do a lot of work by hand. I want them to expect what the graph is going to look like before they actually do the graph. I tell my students a good mathematician knows what it's going to look like before they ever punch it in. Um, I feel like it's kind of like a GPS. You know, when I learned to drive and when I was driving places, I, I got out the huge map and unfolded it and figured out the way. And of course, now I use my GPS on my phone, but I've got to know in general 
what's going to happen before or in general, the directions I'm going to go. I think about my Mm -hmm. son when he first had a GPS in his car, and this was before it was on the phone. He actually had a freestanding thing that was a GPS. And I remember him coming, uh, going somewhere one time, driving probably 50 or 60 miles out of the way, having passed the exit that he needed to take and then driving because he, he didn't even have any idea. He didn't even know. No, he was (laughs) trusting the GPS. Oh no. (laughs) Um, And and the GPS, and somehow this was back, the GPS had another um, stop on it. Somehow he was using it and it took him to this other place and then brought him back. And I'm thinking, (laughs) I was kind of speechless. And I, and I think this is kind of the same thing. If, if you don't know what to expect, then yeah. you don't have any idea of what you're looking if what you're looking at is correct or not. So it th- what a great example because it's like we know um, that even with our kids driving today, honestly, we have two new drivers in the house and we don't allow them to use GPSs because I want them to figure out the roads. I want them to remember the big roads and the highways and the turns yes, and whatnot, good. and to look at a map before they leave to get the, like what you're saying is to get the overall picture. And then the GPS is the great technology that can help you, but kind of once you already know it. And so that's, that's what you're saying about like graphing. I, I that makes so much sense just because you can do it on a calculator, just because you can do it on a GPS doesn't mean that you know where you're going. Exactly. And that's what you see in the classroom. I'm sure they come in and they just graduate from high school and they're punching their stuff in their, you know, calculator. And then you ask them to do it on paper and they don't even know what you're talking about. Right. They have no idea what they're doing. They just know a series of buttons to push on the calculator and it will give them the correct answer. And, and yeah, what have we learned? And, and that series of buttons is going to be forgotten after the test. Well, the button series is not what, where the learning is. Exactly. And so yeah, this is really kind of making, sense to me right now. Right. However, if if they can do it by hand, if they can do a rough sketch by hand, then when they do it on their calculator, on the app, then it all makes sense. Yeah. And that's a good tool. It's a good use. It's a very good tool. tool. Yes. And and they can find a whole lot more, uh, many more details with that software that they're using. And, And it's fantastic. But they knew what they were getting before they got there. So the problems with screens in the classroom, we know there's so many, but just to sum up this little, this little part of the discussion, um, we know that kids are going to default to take the path of least resistance, the yes. easy way out, right? Yes. Th- this is like their job. I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we know that there's a lot of distractions and temptations. The difference between the screen experience and the textbook really are vast. I mean, the screen, you just have millions of places to go. In a textbook, it's just the you're, textbook. You're just in that subject. You are locked into the subject there. Yeah. And, and that's why textbooks are better. And that's why you told me two years ago to get the math textbook from the school and bring it home. And I did. And that really helped one of my boys. So yes. thank you for that. Yes. Um, I thought, cause I hadn't thought about it and I thought, oh my gosh, he does need this textbook for math. And then screens, screens do make it harder to practice that deep work and, and effective practice. Um, it, it's e- screens are, you know, because they're easier 
you're not getting as deep. I think that's kind of the overall thing. It's just more of a shallow um, learning. It's not as deep because it's very entertaining and it's fun and novel and there's a bunch of games going on. All righty. Well, we wrapped that little piece up. Let's talk about, um, okay, that was screens in the classroom. Okay. Homework. Just, just a minute. Let's just spend a minute on homework. Cause we're going to talk about, about math homework in a few minutes, but just homework in general, it is okay. Like you said, for kids to use apps and do different things for homework and that there are good software packages that come with these very expensive applications. Yes. <laughs> um, textbook companies, they've, they've gone to so much work to put all this stuff online and create all these courses, but where's the problem? I mean, so where's the hang up with this? The problem is they're just not used correctly a lot of times. There, there are a lot of good software packages out there. And most of the time, the good ones will have videos, they will have tutorials, one that I'm using right now, and and yes, I do use them in the classroom, but one that I am using right now, they actually look at the students' answers and try to figure out maybe what mistake they made. And instead of just saying, oh, it's wrong, they say, you may have done this. It's fantastic. And so there there are lots of great, great software packages out there. The problem is most of the time the students don't take the time. They look, oh, I missed it. And then they move to the next problem. They they don't use it as a learning experience and and watch the video or go back and rewatch the video or um, use all the tutorial things that are put into these software packages. They, students are, are, as you said a minute ago, they, they want the quickest path and they know that there are uh, sites on there. They can Google anything. You can type any question from any textbook into Google, any subject, and there's probably an answer out there. It's probably mm-hmm. there. In math, there are equation solvers, there are derivative calculators, integral calculators, um, which would be in a calculus class. And you type it in and hit submit and boom, there's the answer. Students don't realize if they can Google it, I can Google it sometimes. <laughs> and so I, I think it's funny when I do have them turn things in by hand, that they've done by hand, and all of a sudden, I, I see something way more advanced than I taught or a very oh. different way. They've, they've solved it a very different way than, you know, the red flags go out. Now, I'm not saying that I, I don't want students, that, that I want my students to solve something exactly the same way I did. I, I love when students think outside the box and, and come up with another way to do it. But it's pretty easy to tell when they're using these equation solvers because I I don't know. They just don't ever think that I'm going to find out. It's funny. It's kind of funny. Well, and this brings us right into the topic of cheating that I wanted to talk to you about real quick. So, you know, statistics show that 35% of teenagers, now I think this is in high school, admit to using a cell phone to cheat. 
in school. And mm-hmm. of that group, 65% report that other students are using phones oh. to cheat. <laughs> okay. That's, That's not shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then 76% of parents believe that cheating by using a cell phone occurs at their child's school, but only just a few percent of parents believe that their kid is the one who's actually cheating. So that's a whole nother problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I thought it was interesting that students do not consider it cheating if they are checking notes on a cell phone, a smartphone during a test, if they're searching the internet for answers during the test, or if they're texting a friend for answers during a test, somehow they don't think that's cheating. 25%. That has been a shock to me over years. There are websites, like I said a few minutes ago, that you can type in a question and and some expert, I'm, I'm using air quotes around expert, has answered this question. And so the answer is right there. And no, today's students don't think that is cheating. They were asked a question and they are producing an answer. That has been, that has truly been a shock to me. Yes. I now have an honor code that I make them sign that says that they have not used outside sources to get answers. And And it mainly stems from exactly this. I mean, no longer do I have students looking over um, the shoulder of the student sitting in front of them to cheat. They're, they have their phones down in their laps or, or they try to have their phones down in their laps to look up things if it's during a face-to-face test. But if it's during a, you know, just homework assignments that they turn in, then they want to turn in someone else's work. Um, yes, I, I could talk the rest of the hour um, with specific examples, but I've had students turn in, not only did they get the answer from a website, they have actually turned in the website's answer. They did not even take the time to rewrite it in their own handwriting. They Googled the question, an answer came up, and they printed it out, and that's what they turned in. They like copied and pasted it. Yes, yes, yes. I see. I will say that most students do take the time to try to reword it a little bit, maybe. (laughs) But but, okay, okay. And 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 by saying this, there's a lot of learning that can go on with these sites. There's a lot Mm. of good that can go on. I have learned back in my day of being a student in a math class. The odd answers were always in the back of the book. And so you'd work on a problem, you'd flip to the back of the book, you'd check your answer. Well, there were many a times that I flipped to the back of the book, looked, found what the answer was, and then worked towards that. I learned a tremendous amount of math by doing that. And then I would study and figure out what I did and maybe hopefully why I did that. But that was the answer I got to. Uh, students don't do that part anymore. They, they don't look at the answer and then study the steps that were there. They just copy them and move on. Yeah, they're not using it to deeper their understanding. Yes, that is correct. You've told me before that there's actually software companies or apps or something out there, companies, that will have tests that... Uh, like a, a student may turn in one of 
one of your tests, right? Oh yes, yes, I've had that happen. Yes, there there are um, there are subscriptions you pay by the month, and you are allowed to enter so many questions per month. And I've had um, questions that I I wrote the question. It was not a question that I got from a book. I personally wrote the question. And uh, again, I say, if you can Google it, I can Google it. I had two or three students to have the exact same answer. And so I thought, okay, well, we've Googled this. And so I'll get on the internet and go looking for the answer. And there is my original question right there on the internet. So I, I know that one of those students had to put that question in because it was not a question that was already out there. So these sites take all these questions from, and, and then they answer them and then other and then, kids in your class can just go get the same thing. Cause it's your test. Exactly. Or it's yes. Your, it is yeah. my test. Yes. So it's like your test is no longer sacred. It's no, you know, they can, th- these websites actually have your test on it and then Correct. you have to make new tests. And then you have to make new tests. And I personally, I remember the feeling that I had, I, I felt like I had been robbed or stabbed or something. To, and that was just personally when I looked and there was my test question on a, one of these subscription websites. It was shocking. It was scary. I, I just, it really, and, and scary is a strong word, but it just, it was creepy and it was sad and it kind of broke my heart. So yeah, that a student would do that and then upload it. And then people are paying a subscription to go to get your test so they can cheat in your class. I mean, how is this right? Of course it's not right. And parents, you just need to know about this stuff. Like we're not going to get crazy. We're just going to know we're going to get educated and we're going to be a few steps ahead of our kids. So uh, let's focus on math. Okay. Okay. This is our our last kind of topic for the, for the show here. And we, we talked about homework a minute ago, but specifically with math, homework, you know, did we leave anything out? Is there anything else we can add on that as far as doing math homework? Tell me what you're, you're doing now in your class with homework. Well, I've got in one math class, we have a software package. There's, there are a lot of students in the class and they go through their homework on the software package and all the extra things that are there to help them are in this software package. And then in another class, I am old school. I I give them assignments. I have them write it out on their notebook paper with a pencil with their little hand and they turn (laughs) it in and I grade it and then give it back to them the next class. And I asked them, it was funny, I asked them in class just this week when I was taking up their homework for the day, I asked them in class and said, how many of you remember when a teacher took up your homework in class and graded it and gave it back? And they all kind of looked at me and said, and these are college, some freshmen, mostly sophomores, and most of them, one person said maybe the fifth grade. And so it has been so long since a lot of them have done pencil and paper homework. Well, and that's where, you know, you said that good students will go to the site and they'll study it and they'll study how to solve it and they'll still get a lot out of it. But yes. students who are struggling, 
it's harder for them. You know, I think the way that you find out is probably through their test, right? Because they can go on their homework and they can make the homework look good. Oh, yes. Oh, I have students who will just have a row of hundreds on a homework and then can't pass a test. Wow. And that's when you know that it's not sinking. That's in. when I know that they're either they're not doing the homework, somebody's doing it for them, or they're using these cheating sites to to get the answers. And, and they're not using them properly. They're not, they can be used properly, they're, but they're not taking the time to learn. But it's like you have to be mature to use it properly. Yes. It probably would be good for an adult to get in there and use it. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just so wonderful. And that's what we see as parents. It's like, oh, this is so cool. You know, a dad will look at the software program or a mom and they'll be like, oh, this is so great. But their kid isn't using it the same way. I think that's kind of the summary for this, this whole talk today. They're just not always using it. So let's jump into quickly... Um, how calculators kill math, because I remember years ago you telling me to hold off the calculators as long as possible for the, the for the boys, you know, when they were when they were in the younger grades, just to get them to learn those basic math facts and skills early on. Just touch on that a minute. Calculators probably get handed to students maybe in about the sixth or seventh grade now. I do think that most students are still taught their multiplication facts and asked to memorize their multiplication facts. But there's so much math that builds on these basic skills that if you don't just know these basic skills, then you can't build on them. If I don't know how to add two fractions, just regular fractions, one half plus three fourths, if I don't know how to do that, then when I get to algebra, and the fractions all of a sudden started having X's in them and square roots in them and you know more complicated math things, then I'll never learn how to do uh, the, that math because I don't know how to do the more basic math. If I have to stop and pick up a calculator to add two-thirds and three-fourths, then there's no way that... I can do anything more difficult. And if I can't do that, if, I, if I've lost that skill, then, then I, I have no confidence to do anything any bigger. Anytime I go to a, a, a teacher conference, the topic always comes up of, do your students know their multiplication facts? I have so many students who don't know their multiplication facts. And like just, in college? Yes, yes. I mean, they may know some. I mean, you know, they may know the twos and the threes, but if you say seven times nine, then they they have to stop. Now, I will say most of them are good enough to figure it out, but those are the kind of things that you just, you just have to know that. You, you just have to go through and, and, and as well as addition and subtraction skills and division skills. It's kind of like maintaining a highway. Um, you just have to keep it maintained. You have to fill the potholes. You have to fill the gaps. And as long as you keep them filled, as long as you maintain it, then um, the highway is going to be great. As long as you can keep those lower level math skills active and strong in your brain, then you're going to be able to have good number sense and you're going to be able to learn higher levels of math. You're, you're going to use the logic 
and um, your critical thinking is going to improve and you'll be able to reach a new level of math knowledge if you have that. But if you're struggling with those, then there's no way that you can build on that. So my goal as a teacher is for, of course, for them to learn whatever concept we're studying at the time. I spend a tremendous amount of time um, teaching them why they need to do something rather than just how to do it. Uh, I think if you learn how to do it, it's kind of like going back to punching the calculator keys. You can learn a series of keys, but you're not going to retain that. But if you learn why something works, why can you not divide by zero? Why can you do this? Mm. Why can you do that? Then I think your chances of remembering it and and, um, being able to apply it later on are going to help. So we learn a lot of processes in math. And, and that's important, but being able to know why you do that process is, is going to be the difference between an, an A student and a C student. A C student may know the process. They may have memorized a process, but the A student is going to know why, and they're going to be able to apply it. So as a parent, one thing to encourage your students to do is to review what they've done. Um, most of the time when we finish our homework, we slam the book shut or slam the computer shut and move on to the next thing. But if you would just take just a few minutes or encourage them to take just a few minutes, whether you're on a website doing homework or, or pencil and paper doing homework, just take a few minutes and just kind of review, study what you just did. Maybe have them, if they're smaller kids, maybe have them say out loud what they just learned, what they just practiced. Vocabulary is a big deal. Just have them practice that and that will help so much in retaining what they did. No one in high school fails anymore. When I was in high school, people failed and had to repeat courses. So uh, that doesn't happen anymore. No one in high school fails. I have heard that sometimes if you don't even turn in any work, you still get a 50. That seems to be a thing, but um, that doesn't happen in college. Students can fail in college and they do have to repeat classes in college and they're shocked most of the time when they figure out that they are actually going to fail the course, it's it's too late to kind of recover. But if it's not, they don't have the grit to hang in there and even follow through. They, they just quit. And that's expensive. Oh, yes. They'll have to take that class again. That means they have to pay for the class again. And they have to pay for the class again. <laughs> yes. So this, this podcast could actually be saving tons of money for people who are <laughs> yes. listening. So share this with all of your friends who have kids in, in school. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up, Terry. This has just been so rich with information. Thank you so much. Oh, I've just taken a ton of notes over here myself, and I'm learning every time we, we talk about this. But give us your tips for parents. I know you got kind of a, a short list on... Tips for parents for a successful math experience in college. First of all, I think just practicing and mastering those basic skills. If your child is learning those basic skills right now, have them do it without a calculator. 
if they're past that, if they're in middle school, just continue to practice those basic skills. Flashcards the, with their multiplication tables and their division, they're adding and subtracting as well. Not letting them get behind, not just looking at the grades to kind of be aware of, of your child's progress in math. This may take a conversation with the teacher. Grades are very inflated in this day and age. So your student might be bringing home a B and they're happy with their B, but they really know it at a D level. Right. They may be getting really behind and you don't know. And you don't know that. Yes. And yes. And I mentioned before, don't, please don't tell your students you don't like math or you were never good at math. Just encourage them to do well at math. Of course, I'm very much a nerd. I like to do little logic puzzles and brain teasers and that kind of thing. Um, but just having those around, if, if your family has a game night, maybe do a Sudoku night or something like that where, where they're learning these brain skills. Um, music and math go together a lot. Having music, think sports, bring out, if your child is hmm. into sports, there's so much um, statistical information about sports. They're, they try to bring the math out in whatever they may like to do. Try to teach your children not to be afraid to try new things. Math is, is day after day new, new concepts, new skills, and, and it's very challenging. And I think if, if they're not afraid to try new things, in one area of their life, then they would not be afraid to try new things in um, the classroom. Okay. Another tip is that you don't want to satisfy every craving that your child has. Um, you know, learning's hard. We talked about it being lonely with you and just you and the book. And so if, if you want them to be motivated you can't hand them everything. They, they need to experience the feeling of working through something and getting it. I, I go back, I think I talked at the beginning about that aha moment. Uh, the aha moment is, is wonderful for the teacher, but it's also really great for the, the student as well. I, I see those eyes light up. It's, it's, they've got it. They've conquered something. They feel good about themselves. They're building confidence. Yeah. And that success breeds success. Yes. And it, it bleeds over to other areas of life. Yes. And of course, one more final tip is no smartphones, no video games. Kids who have all those distractions just don't do as well in school. Yeah, we know that kids who have parents that delay all this, you know, not all screens, as we said today, there was a lot of good use of screens in the classroom. But when you can delay the smartphone, delay the video games, get your kids through school, they will have more advantages in every measurable area. And today yes. we've learned even math. Yes. Yes. I personally, I did not let my child ha- child have a smartphone until he was in college, until his sophomore year of college, even. Wow. And he has mm-hmm. thanked me now, saying that he possibly may not have even graduated from college had he had one um, at that point. So, yes. Terry, we have a lot of people listening that are really struggling, and it's really hard. It is so hard for families right now, not just because of COVID, but just because the culture is leaning so heavily toward this tremendous amount of screen time. And so many times uh, parents that are listening to our podcast are trying to 
make some changes in their home and take them away. And, you know, maybe they've come here today because they are struggling. Their kids are struggling in school. I, I mean, it goes hand in hand. So what are some encouraging things you can say to these parents that are really struggling? I think as a parent, you, you, you know what to do. It's just hard to do it. Uh, you, you want to be your child's friend and a lot of times, and you know in your gut what is best for them, and, and you just have to stick to that. You, you have to hang on to what you know is best for your child, and what is best for your child is for them to learn about hard work, for them to learn about grit, for them to um, feel confident, for them to have some goals and reach for those goals and then accomplish those goals and have that sense, that feeling, and, and it will continue with them as they grow and come to me when they're in college. This has just been so wonderful, Terry. Thank you so much for taking the time. You've really helped so many families today. I, I just appreciate it so much. You're welcome. I feel kind of sorry for the kids today, parents who are out there <laughs> listening, because in our show today, we talked about math. So not only um, are we encouraging you to hit a pause button on those video games and those smartphones, but we're also encouraging you to do more math with your kids. <laughs> so I do hope that everyone enjoyed listening today. And if you are curious for more information, go to our website at screenstrong.com, of course, and check out the, the detox that we have to get your kids back. We have a seven day detox. We have a 30 day detox. You can jump in our Screen Strong Families Facebook group and Tara Lee is in there sometime and she can jump in and answer some questions that you might have. You'll find support from some other parents just like you. And when we talk about getting rid of that smartphone, we really encourage you to get a Gab phone. Our code for the discount is strong, the word strong, and the Gab phone will be the perfect phone for your child. Uh, it, it's, it's just talk and text and it's all they need right now. We also have our Kids Brains and Screens course. We have it available now. We have the solutions coming out and we encourage you to just get a little group of parents together and do this course together to help learn even more. So your homework today is to share this podcast with five friends, at least five friends. Let's get the word out. We cannot spread this mission and do this work without you helping us do that. It's always through the grassroots effort and word of mouth from friends like you that really spread the message. So remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. 